Hey friends, you're listening to The Collective Podcast, where we strive to highlight ordinary women living extraordinary lives of faithfulness. This season, we're featuring heroes of the faith, women, and even a few men, who shine in the unique areas God has gifted them. We'll hear their stories, how God has cultivated their gifting, and how we can grow in these areas ourselves. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi friends, I'm your host, Chelsea Schaefriesen, and today we'll be continuing our season focusing on Heroes of Faith. For this episode, I'm joined by Denise Kendrick, who is our hero of life. And man, is she such a champion of this. Not only has Denise founded an organization focused on helping at-risk children and families dealing with the foster care system, but she's also dedicated her personal life to the same goal. To put it simply, she's not only a hero of life, but a hero of how she shows love. And she is something that truly we all want to learn and see Christ in. And so welcome, Denise. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Chelsea. It's awesome to have you on. We would love, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your personal life. Who is Denise? Oh gosh, where to begin? Well, I don't always talk about this on the first date, but my (laughs) hubby and I... (laughs) have been married for a little over 20 years and we have nine kids. So we can just get that out of the way. Nine, nine kids. Let's do it. It's crazy. I'm allowed to say that because it's my life, but um, (laughs) we are high school sweethearts. And so we didn't go to the same high school and it's a long story, but we dated all through high school and got married a week after my hubby's 19th birthday. Oh my goodness. Started our sweet little family very early in life and um, quickly added, we're eager to start a family and have our nine kids and three grandkids as well at the ripe old age of 41. Uh, We're a competitive family. We love board games. We're outdoorsy, a ping pong tournament. One of our core values of a family is adventure and exploring creation. So we're, we're on the road as much as we can. We love to camp and road trip and explore um, that's a big way that God just reveals himself to me is through creation. I just yeah. feel so close to him when I'm looking at natural wonders. And so my whole family gets dragged along in that process. Um, and we're part of our family's part of some missionary networks. And it's kind of a cool kooky thing where missionaries open their homes to one another and people who just want to kind of help out people who are in the cause. And so we've gotten to stay with stay in some really unique places, meet some really unique people in that process. And so that's another thing we love to do as a family is just to travel and to live life with other people and get out of our, you know, kind of our typical little suburban life and see how other people worship and do life and live and just experience that for a moment with them. Yeah. I mean, and your organization Embrace has had a profound impact. How did God store your passion for this specific need? And what's the journey looked like? I know you said it was just a, a step of faithfulness, a step of faithfulness, but can you peel back the layers a little bit on, all right, we've started this thing. What did it look like from beginning point to today and how it's the growth season? How has it developed? So we found it, Embrace has been around almost 15 years ago and really started as an effort to equip and empower the church to get involved. So not not everyone is going to personally open their home to foster or adopt, and that's okay. But we are all, it's a biblical mandate to care for our most vulnerable neighbors. Mm-hmm. Well, it started as a little volunteer effort, and it just very quickly snowballed as we started to build connections with child protective services and the state and the judges and 
all of the people who were in this child welfare realm, they were eager for the involvement of the church. They really saw the potential there if the body got involved. And so we just started to make those connections. And we saw a church that was willing but there was a disconnect there. They they tried hard, and our our sweet small group and Sunday school class and elders in our church and our families wrapped around us in any way that they could think of, and they would deliver meals, and they would help with Christmas presents. We had kids come the week before Christmas, and they would swing in to say, do you need bikes? Do you need bike helmets? What do you need for these kids? Um, but really, the, the Big C Church as a whole was disconnected from this need. And so we started as a little volunteer group of how can we connect people with these kids and these families to serve in impactful ways. Let's go beyond toy drives. Let's go beyond casseroles because the church is like this sleeping giant, just Absolutely. unaware of the Im- immense impact that can happen when we rally and get involved. And then, you know, we would provide a respite night, which is like a parent's night out for foster families because it is it is no joke getting childcare or a babysitter when you're a foster parent. They have to go through all this training and everything. But churches can host a parent's night out for families. And so we would do that. And another church would call us and say, hey, how are you doing that? You're hosting all these kids in-house. You have these volunteers who are working with families. How have you built this partnership? And so we saw a need to multiply that. And it started to very quickly gain momentum and grow beyond what we could manage as volunteers. And we felt like maybe this is time to jump in. And that was, that. Would, I know I keep saying it's not a leap of faith. This is one time when it really did feel like a big leap of faith because we were quitting our day jobs. We raised support as missionaries to fund and start the ministry. Um, but God's provision has been so consistent and so sweet throughout. That's what's the cool thing is we've gotten front row seats to that for the last 15 years of seeing what the church truly can do and like moving the needle on child welfare in our state. Oh, my goodness. If we could stop right there, I think you could qualify as my hero just for having A, nine kids, and B, getting out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. It's it's a lot of work, but it's fun. Well, this just tees us up so beautifully to talk about with nine kids and a love for family and a love for people. Can you tell us what does it mean to be called a hero or champion of life? Like, what does that mean to you? Oh, that's a tough one because I don't see myself really that way. It's being a hero or a champion, even, it sounds like such an intentional choice. Like you woke up this morning and you're changing clothes in a phone booth and you're out to save the world. And that's just really not how our story played out. I wasn't born with a superpower or super faith or some gifting or equipping that somehow predisposed me to acts of heroism. Uh, And I didn't land out. I didn't land in any of the places that I set out to go. And so looking back, it's just, um, it's pretty incredible to see the Lord's leading through my life. Um, And really the one thing that we've been intentional with in our lives and in our marriage and with our family is just trusting God to a point of recklessness and uh, clinging to Him. And so what looks like this giant leap into this life that we have led is really just these tiny little steps forward uh, that led us here. Yeah, so that's just, that's so convicting to hear that one step of faithfulness after the other led to this beautiful place and this beautiful testimony. That it wasn't some like overnight, we're going to charge the hill, quick hitter, that you just said yes to the next thing God gave you. But as you look back on your life, have you always had such a heart for at-risk children and those in need, or was there a really clear turning point for you? I think it starts when I was really young. Uh, I grew up in a little Baptist church and was involved in a missions program for little girls called GAs, Girls in Action. And 
learned about missionaries who were both domestically and internationally just had committed their entire lives to sharing the gospel, wrote letters to missionaries, read read books about the saints, you know, like Lottie Moon and these people who had gone, was a pen pal to MK's missionary kids. And so really, I, I felt this stirring in my heart and maybe just was so into that lifestyle and thinking, gosh, is God calling me to this? I kept waiting for God to say, go. Yeah. And so when that clear call to international missions didn't happen and really it was more like stay I I had a reckoning to make sense of Lord do you like you've stirred this missional feeling inside me what and to be to wait and to be patient on where the Lord would lead was that was hard and I kind of felt like I was um, maybe I was on the bench I wasn't good enough to be sent Uh, and that clearly wasn't the case Denise it is so clear to me that you have grown abundantly through this process. But for all of us noobs out there who are wondering, what did step one look like when it came to growing your family by bringing in children through the foster care and adoption system? Can you let me into what was what was day one like for you? And when, like, how did you process that? I'm giggling a little bit at the word noobs. because <laughs> I still totally feel like a noob at this. Moms just know you can be like 20 years in with adult kids and still every day I'm like, I'm not grown up enough to deal with all of this. <laughs> I hope that's comforting to some. Um, well, I mentioned that this is not really you know having nine kids. We did, we did not start out. My hubby and I talked about wanting a big family, thinking like three, four maybe for feeling wild, five kids, but <laughs> you know, mega family. It was not ever the direction that we were headed. We had we had conversations about adoption, even when we were dating. My dad's adopted. It had been part of my family story. Uh, and we had more intent conversations, I would say, about that uh, when we lost our first baby to miscarriage. And in those moments of grief, we were really wondering, are we going to be able to build a family in the way that we had envisioned? But we went on to be blessed with biological kids, and that's adoption lingo for people you make yourself the old-fashioned way. So my husband and I started fostering kids, children, when we were basically kids ourselves. We had our little daughter, and it felt natural because we were just in this phase of life where there's high chairs and diapers and strollers, and could it be that much more work to have another little one along? Uh, and it turns out it is. <laughs> but um, <laughs> All the moms in the cars are yeah. going, amen. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't until we had fostered for a couple of years that we learned there were kids, there's thousands of kids waiting for adoption right here in North Texas. And these are kids who could spend, they could spend years waiting for an adoptive family. And that wasn't the narrative that I had grown up hearing. You know, I I envisioned lines of families, you know, that maybe were wrestling with infertility or this is just the way that they had chosen to build their family was through adoption. And they're waiting for this baby to be born and that birth mother to make that choice to place for adoption. And so that was kind of the narrative that I was familiar with, even as a foster parent. And so it was very eye-opening when we learned that there were kids who were waiting. And we felt very challenged with that because that had kind of been our, that's not for us, not really excuse, but that was what was that was what was um, informing our decision-making was there wasn't, we didn't really know that there was a need for people to adopt kids who are in foster care. I know and work with a lot of foster moms who during COVID, they were bringing in kids who were COVID positive. I mean, they were really putting their families on the line and they're just normal gals. Yeah. There's, there's none of them wear capes. There's nothing, no mother Teresa's in the bunch. Uh, In many days, it's just bringing this little one into your fold, you know, and there's challenges that come along with that when you're caring for an abused or a neglected child. Definitely, it's a little different than um, than parenting your own kids. But these are people who did the same thing. They didn't wake up one morning and think, I'm going to take in three kids in the midst of a 
you know, worldwide pandemic, they just filled out the paperwork and prayed through it and started taking steps and went through the training and brought in one, then two, then more. You don't get to nine overnight. You start with one, and that seemed overwhelming at times. But we just thought, you know, this is just where we are. We could share our family with a child. And there wasn't any big aha moment. It was just like, this is kind of a natural thing. We have, we share a bedroom. We live in this little bitty three-bedroom house. She's in a bedroom. We have this empty bedroom there. We could share this with a child. And so I... I don't want anyone to feel like they need to be waiting for, I jokingly say, like a can of green beans to fall from the sky, like some big sign or some big act, but just being open and and listening carefully to what the Lord has for us and really until he closes a door, continuing to take those steps forward. And so that's what we did. And it started with, we're going to share our home and our family with one little baby. And then it was more and, you know, grew from there. But we didn't, there's no diving in the deep end with these things. Well, and quite frankly, even taking on one kid, to so many of us, it sounds like diving into the deep end. And to hear you say, until God says, no, I'm going to pursue this as a yes, is so beautiful and so stirring and something to really meditate on, I think, for everybody listening of, okay, what is that opportunity, God, you've laid before me that you haven't said no to yes, so that might be a yes. So when I stumbled upon this webpage run by Child Protective Services after we had fostered for a little while. It's called the TEAR website, the Texas Adoption Resource Exchange. It's a photo listing of kids who are in foster care waiting for adoption today, right here in our own backyards. It just flew in the face of everything that I thought I knew about adoption and that process and what the need was. So I started to revisit this website day after day, and you could see about every six months they would update a child's photo. And so you're watching a kid grow up in slow motion and realizing with every photo update, that's another six months of loneliness and being without family and rejection that this child is experiencing. So our hearts were broken over this. And one day as I was pouring over these pages, um, a, a little boy caught my eye who's 13 years old. So for those who don't know us, my husband and I are both gingers. We're redheads. So if you've um, if you've taken biology 101 in high school, you would know that all of our biological kids got a lot of those recessive genes happening, our redheads as well. And so this <laughs> little guy was redheaded, and he just looked like he could slip right into our family picture. And he had been, there were many photos, he had been probably listed on the website for about two years, and I was just really grieved by that. And so Bruce and I had a conversation about it, that's my husband, and um, started to talk through what it would look like to share our family with this child. And there was that instant connection because he looked like he could yeah, be ours. Yeah. And so we started to, what, what would life look like? We have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old. What if they had this big brother? And in the adoption community, it's a hot topic about disrupting birth order and all that, which I think, you know what? When you have a baby, somebody's not the baby anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that, again, you just show up that, every time you have a kid. Yeah, yeah. Somebody gets knocked off the throne, right? And <laughs> back to, you know, those fears that might be obstacles in the way. And so we kind of set all that aside and started to envision what life would be like with this big brother and finally inquired about him. So emailed his caseworker and said, hey, we're a foster family. We're interested in adopting this child. Well, in the meantime, he had been placed with a relative out of state. And we were just like, okay, well, God, you've stretched our hearts to envision what it would be like to have this child in our family. And now he has a family, which I'm I'm grateful on his behalf that he's not still waiting, but what does that mean for us? And so that was something that we pondered and reflected on and ultimately just thought our family now doesn't feel complete without this big boy. And so we reached out to our child placing agency and said, hey, we're interested in adopting 
an older child and met our son, Brandon, two weeks later. He moved in a week after that at 16 years of age. And so that was kind of the beginning of God starting to build our family in this really unconventional way that we had not set out for or planned. We are all adopted daughters and sons of Christ and God. And I'm sitting here in just full joy and encouragement of hearing your story because there are so many, you know, things you hear or don't hear and so much, I wouldn't say misinformation, but probably incomplete information the average person carries about foster care and adoption. And so everything you're saying for me is also blowing my mind and also warming my heart and convicting me to go, man, do I need to revisit some thoughts, some different um, pursuits and challenges God's put on my heart and to hear you just turn it totally upside down and adopt a 16-year-old mm-hmm. and mess, you know, we're third or we're just going to, we're going to be obedient, reckless obedience. Um, that is just phenomenal. I'm in awe. And in, in a way where I'm in awe of what God's done in you guys and through you guys and inspired to be obedient with my next step of faithfulness through that. Um, so thank you for sharing all that. To someone who feels really overwhelmed by everything you just shared or feels like this is too lofty like to help at-risk children in my season of life or maybe just in general my husband and I don't align on this you know this is it's a tender thing we need to be paired up in this how would you encourage them and what are next steps anybody could take today to becoming an advocate and a partner for kids in the foster care and adoption system if you're waiting for this this audible call to this or for your life to be teed up and just in the perfect position, there's let me just assure you, there's no perfect time to adopt a 16-year-old. <laughs> you're never going to be ready. You're never going to be ready for teenagers ever. <laughs> no matter what route you I take. I have five of them right now, <laughs> and I am not ready for this. <laughs> Um, so if you're thinking, you know, if we can finally buy that house with the extra bedroom or a bigger vehicle or, you know, when I've made this change in my job or once I'm married or once I'm a little bit older or whatever these things are that are holding you back, if you would just keep an open heart and and know that God's not asking, he's not asking you to be everything these kids need. That's what the body is for. That's what he is for. And so if, if you're waiting for some finish line of like, hey, we'll consider that when, maybe just keep considering it now. And ask God, if now is not the time, why? And will you lead us closer to the time of sharing our family with a child? I want to emphasize again, just that we are just people. Me and my family, we're just straining to drown out all the noise and to listen to God's leading for our lives. There's no moment when he just ripped back the curtain to reveal this, Denise, the, this, these people, this giant family, becoming a grandma at 34, Loving children as your own and then sending them back to their families, putting your beating heart in a garbage disposal because it is what I asked of you. This is going to be your life. Like if God had torn back that curtain, I would have turned tail and run. There was no way I could have dealt with all of the things that were to come, both the joy and the beauty and then the hardship also. Um, But God in his goodness, he knew to keep all that real distant and foggy. Um, and to just give us enough light and lamp for that very next little step. And I'm grateful that we could not see the big picture because um, back to that trusting, I 
I don't know that I would have trusted God to see us through the hardships that he has and that he has walked with us through. And I would not have believed the life that he had in store for us. It was, it's unbelievable. Just teary. I'm just thinking about all these years of just like stumbling and groping in the dark. And then one day you look up and this reality you cannot have conjured or imagined is here. So in the midst of all this, I knew that God was creating a beautiful story and how our family was coming together and one that could be celebrated. And I think one glimpse at our family picture and you just go, gosh, that is amazing. Um, that is a beautiful life. But what I did not anticipate is how much this journey, how much he would use this journey to work on me and that there were things happening in parallel concurrently there that God was building our family, but that he was working on me too. And there was both building up and there was chiseling away. And there were moments when I found myself really in a pit and was struggling with depression. And there were things in, in relationships in our family and our personal life and work and finances and all of these things that felt like they were caving in all at once. So if you're, if you're feeling your heart stirred and thinking, that's a step that me and my family could take, possibly, what does that look like? And, and you see all these obstacles in the way, maybe I'm, I'm single or I'm not financially where I want to be or our house is not quite big enough or my kids are still little, just that you would hand those obstacles over to God and, and truly pray for him to help you overcome them. Um, and for me, part of that was, like I said, just trusting God and setting aside that fear and worry. There's a verse that for years was written on the inside of my glass shower door in Sharpie that says, when my anxious thoughts multiply, your consolations delight my soul. Um, because sometimes I was allowing, again, anxiety and fear and all those things to drive the bus. And I didn't want to just be over that anxiety. I didn't want to just move past those obstacles. I wanted to delight. And God has promised us that. So even if this brings your family to a place of you're really stretching who you are as a parent and your kids are sharing rooms in ways you wouldn't have imagined and your finances are strained and all of those things that could possibly come along with this, with those other obstacles that either are real or that we throw up in the way, you would just trust God with that and say, God, help me overcome these things. Help me to keep taking those steps forward. Yeah, it's so encouraging and uplifting to know that, you know, it sounds like the road hasn't always been easy. There's been low moments and high moments, but that God's nearness has grown ever closer as you've been obedient with each thing he's given you. And that that, the nearness of the Lord mm. and the refinement and sanctification of being obedient to what he has called you to do has made it all worth it. The lowest of the low, the highest of the high, to God be the glory and draw him ever nearer. Yeah, amen to that. Thank you, Denise, for peeling back, you know, the layers of the nitty gritty for us and also for giving us just a really clear kick in the pants to, to <laughs> read, just to truly reconsider what part am I supposed to play in this narrative of the foster care and adoption system. And God, if there isn't a no, is that a yes? Mm -hmm. And so I leave that with you listeners. That's all we have time for today. I genuinely think we could sit here and talk for another two hours and hear story after story of what God has done in and through y'all's faithfulness. But man, we just don't have time for it today. So, so thank y'all for listening. If you want to learn more about The Collective, you can visit our website, watermark.org slash collective. 
and be sure to follow us on Instagram at watermark underscore collective because there's lots of great things on there. We highlight stories. We tell you when our next event is, so go do it. Be sure to share this episode with someone who needs to hear it today. And I'm not just talking about that sis who's interested in foster care. I'm talking about that friend who needs an encouragement and to hear that God is faithful when we trust him. If you have any questions about this episode, please email us at collective at watermark.org. We'll see you next time on The Collective Podcast. Oh, 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 oh,